good jazz fans welcome to jabber jazz where you get utah jazz basketball talk from a fan's perspective without any of the ads and with an analytical emphasis i'm your host adam bushman here to deliver you another podcast related to utah jazz who are fresh off of back-to-back victory against the la lakers and la clippers jazz are the kings of la i don't make the rules i just follow them today we're talking about will hardy uh, pretty much an ode to Will Hardy, who has just been fantastic and who I attribute a lot of the success of this season to. And we're also going to answer the question of, have the Jazz ruined the tank? Should we put the thoughts of the tank in the rearview mirror? So those are, those are the two topics we're discussing today. If you like what we're doing, please consider subscribing to the podcast or to our YouTube channel, giving us a follow on social media, uh, on Twitter, at Jabber underscore Jazz, leaving a review or a comment, and snagging some Jabber Jazz merch on our store website. And you can check that out in the description below. All those things help keep us delivering you Utah Jazz Talk via the Jabber Jazz umbrella. Now, without further ado, let's Jabber Jazz. Okay, so we're talking an ode to Will Hardy, okay? William Hardy touched the Hardys of his players, now they slayers. Opponent down to jazz the crown. Oh, Hardy, you go so hardy. <laughs> okay, enough of the ode, all right? I ain't no poet. But, uh, but seriously, Will Hardy deserves some mad props for what he has done with the Jazz this season. Eight and three record. It's really incredible. We talked about it on the previous episode that this surprising start kind of came out of nowhere. Even those who were as optimistic as possible on the Jazz really didn't foresee the, this success coming in this fashion right with a connective team no egos everybody kind of knowing their place rightful order of of the team and how possessions are allocated okay everybody fitting into their right spots right everybody being them their best selves chemistry cohesion buy-in being on the same page i think all of that you have to attribute to Will Hardy. Remember back to his press conferences and those interviews that he had at the start of the season. What was his pitch? What did he say were going to be the hallmarks of his coaching tenure with the Jazz? He talked about building relationships, not with not just with players, but with fellow coaching staff and, and with the front office. He said relationships were a big thing for him. We've seen that. Okay. He also said accountability, holding his players accountable, was going to be a big step. We're, we're going to talk about that. He also said that he really believed in communication, streamlining communication, and, and having this two-way street between the, the front office, the players, the coaching staff. Uh, he talked about playing, playing tough, playing hard, and, and not, not, uh, not giving excuses but here's the thing, everybody says that kind of stuff, right? Just like everybody lost 15 pounds of fat and put on 15 pounds of muscle in the offseason, okay? Like that's your boilerplate new head coach message, okay? So for me, I'm sitting here thinking, hey, that's great, but that's what you expect to hear in those kind of press conferences and interviews. So really, I'm in wait and see mode. And there were, there were serious questions that, that I had about Will Hardy, okay? As a first-time head coach, super young, I was really curious to see, would he tailor his coaching style to the players, 
right? Hey, given the talent we have on the team, how am I going to mold to them to make them make the team as successful as possible? Or would he take a different approach of, hey, the players need to get on board with with my plan, my strategy, how I coach? Um, was he going to prioritize shot distribution strategies? Right, we saw Quinn Snyder really optimize the defense and offense to generate advantages and efficiency just based on being smart where they shoot. Was Will Hardy going to prioritize that? It's a super important piece. Uh, was he going to empower his players, or would he smother them? Um, would he play the young guys, or would he be more reserved and only play veterans? Um, would the messages that he is sending out would they resonate with the players? Would he be able to get the buy-in? Get everybody on board with the plan. Okay, that's a super underrated piece, but that's so important. Just getting everybody to buy in, uh, especially when you have players coming from all different teams, all different ecosystems, all with their own motivations for wanting to do well. Would everybody buy into the plan? Would he achieve a chemistry with this group? You know, chemistry to where, hey, they could achieve the best versions of themselves as a collective unit, be more than the sum of the parts. These were all serious questions I had for him. And I think he's answered a lot of these in in ways that I didn't expect and much earlier than I expected. I attribute most of this early success to Will. It's really, really, it's really, really incredible. Uh, clearly, he found an intersection between his style and the strengths of the team, right? Uh, the, the team doesn't really have much rim protection outside of Walker Kessler, but we've been able to craft a really effective defense despite that. Uh, furthermore, he hasn't been afraid to roll with the hot hand, the hot lineups. Okay, we saw it just last night against the Los Angeles Clippers. Jordan Clarkson was playing really well in the first half. Towards the end of the third quarter, start of the fourth, uh, he got a little bit into his uh, his ISO mode where uh, he wasn't eyes out and he he wasn't looking to pass. And Colin Sexton, you know, proved to not need the ball in his hands uh, to create actions. And that's who Will Hardy rode throughout the rest of the uh, of the game. And he he became a really important release valve for the offense when Mike Conley, Laurie Markkinen, and others were breaking down the defense and starting to create advantages. Colin was able to capitalize on the advantages, played a really, really important role. And Will Hardy was smart enough and, and brave enough to go with what was going to work for that time. Clearly, he's empowered his players to be their best self, right? Jordan Clarkson has unlocked a new dimension to his passing. I wrote a whole article about it that's up on slcdunk.com. I'd encourage you to check it out. But JC is, is night and day a different player than he was during the previous tenure with the Utah Jazz because he's passing, he's creating opportunities for others, and it's unlocking his own abilities as well. Uh, we've seen Laurie from from this year. He's more akin to the Eurobasket version of himself than he was the Cleveland and Chicago version of himself. Okay, he's reaching his full potential, um, especially being just an incredible player uh, uh, as a slasher uh, and putting pressure on the rim as a cutter. Uh, he's really, really developing a high, high floor of efficiency. Really, really 
Really impressed with him. Uh, and we've seen kind of a revival of Conley. I think you mostly see it on the defensive end. He is really, really getting after it. Uh, there was a play just last night where John Wall got Conley in the post, and Conley was battling, challenged the shot, and out-rebounded John Wall. Even now, John Wall is a better athlete, faster, bigger, stronger, but Conley's competing, and I thought you saw that last night. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt has gotten increased responsibilities for handling the ball, initiating actions. And I think these are all great examples of Will Hardy putting his players in the best positions for them to be their best selves, but in the context of the team doing well. Uh, not, not, uh, not instead of or not at the consequence of the team doing poorly that that uh, individual players be their best selves and clearly this team is on the same page and has found some incredible uh, chemistry you don't become the top clutch team without it you don't play this amount of minutes in the clutch get this amount of wins uh, and be able to you know generate this amount of offense and defense this frequently if you don't have this buy-in this chemistry and this this collective will to be great it's really really impressive and i think about it as well that he clearly values efficiency um, we're seeing that he's really pushing the jazz to get out in transition generate extra opportunities for themselves he really values shot distribution jazz are generating huge advantages in three-point frequency and if we had uh, a little bit more rim protection on the team i'm sure that we would see some of those similar advantages at the rim as well uh, i think he clearly values those things I'm extremely, extremely impressed with Will Hardy, and I, I attribute a lot of this early success to him. Uh, he's learning on the fly. He's a young coach, and he's going to make mistakes. But I think even so far, really early, he's shown that he's, that he's learning from them, and he's going to uh, improve, and uh, he's going to learn from his mistakes. And I think he's leading by example, and he's – so far demonstrating everything that he said was going to be a hallmark of his coaching tenure thus far in these first 11 games and and really truly it's maximizing this this team in just unprecedented ways second uh, uh second in the west second best record in the west the jazz have right now eight and three they're just all around impressive and such a such a fun team to watch. It's really just a joy, a pleasure, and a breath of fresh air from what we experienced last year. Okay, so now we're getting into our next topic, which is did the Jazz kind of ruin this this tanking idea? Have should we punt on this idea of tanking? Is it kind of a foregone conclusion that, hey, the Jazz are good, will be throughout the entire season, and we just need to accept that fact and enjoy it? Well, first of all, I'd say we need to enjoy this team regardless of what happens. Win or lose, I think there are great reasons to be, to be happy and optimistic. Uh, by virtue of all of these assets the Jazz have in terms of players, uh, in terms of you know future cap space and draft picks, whichever way the Jazz go, I think we could be optimistic. What's really important is that we have fun and we enjoy this team now because they really, really are just a joy to watch. And, 
and it's and like I said in the last segment, it's just really really refreshing. Uh, but is at eight and three, second in the West, is is it a foregone conclusion that the Jazz are going to be good, and that we shouldn't really be counting on the Jazz pick being a a high lottery pick? So what was the goal of this whole tanking idea anyways? Um, was it Victor Wembanyama or bust? I, I talked about it on previous uh, podcasts, but really, uh, even in the best case scenario, the Jazz are 86% of the time going to miss out on Victor Wembanyama. That's just the nature of how the new lottery odds work. Okay, And frankly, even in the best case scenario, two other teams share the exact odds that you have okay the top three teams in the lottery or the three worst teams record wise in the league they share the same uh probability of getting the number one pick at 14 percent okay so not only do you miss out on victor 86 percent of the time but then two other teams have the same odds that you have if that's the goal yeah yeah worst worst record in the league was always a pipe dream, but now it's not even it's not even possible. I don't think this team is too good. Even if you sell off the veterans, uh, even if you manufacture uh, you know ways to you know punt games, I think that worst record in the league was always going to be tough to to beat out OKC, Houston, San Antonio. These these teams that I that we thought would be down there at the bottom, it was always going to be really hard to out tank them. Now with an eight and three start with this amount of talent, even if you sell off the veterans, it's impossible. Okay, like I, I think we we should just forget about being one of the forget about being the worst team and, and really forget about having um, you know being one of those three teams with the fourteen percent odds. Okay, it, it's just not likely anymore. Now was the goal? Hey, let's get a franchise player. If that was the goal. Okay, remember we had talked about if there are five franchise guys in the draft, if you're at the number three spot, hey, 67% of the time you're going to end up with one of them or, or be in a position to draft one of them. If you're in the number seven spot, that's at a 30% probability. Okay, so there is this, I predicted Jazz land in this three to seven range uh, of best odds. Okay, even at seven, you're at over twice the odds of getting a franchise player than if you were all in on Victor Wembanyama. Okay, so if that's the goal, if the goal was to get a franchise player, no, I don't. I don't think we're out of it yet. Okay, now if we keep winning to the to the extent we are, you know, we're we're going to get further and further away from that if there really are five guys. You know, if that continues, if that increases. You know, then then maybe hey, getting at the tenth spot, you you you're the tenth best odds. You know, you still have enough probability to jump up there. More on that in a second. But really, if we were talking about getting you know one of the franchise guys in this ultra deep draft that is being rumored as, well not just rumored, that's being proven as I should say, then I don't think we're out of it yet. Uh, there's there are plenty of bad teams that have had really good stretches at points throughout a season. That ultimately, you know, uh, ended up with you know really bad odds and, and a high, uh, really good odds, bad record, and a high lottery pit pick. Just just some examples. Last year's Oklahoma City Thunder, they had a five and two stretch at one point, ended 14th in the West. They got Chet Holmgren. 
2019 Charlotte, they had a 5-3 and three stretch, ended ninth in the East, got LaMelo Ball. 2018 Dallas, okay, they went on a 6-3 and three stretch that year, ended with the 13th uh, uh, best record in the West. That got them Luka Doncic. In 2015, the Sacramento Kings, 9-4 and four stretch, ended 13th in the West. They got Willie Cauley-Stein. Okay, clearly, not all of these are bangers. Uh, not all of these are fantastic picks, but the point is that they got into a position to make a pick, to make a, a selection for a franchise player. 2007 Chicago, they had a 7-4 and four stretch at one point during the season and at 11th in the East. Uh, they got Derrick Rose. They got the number one pick. 2004 Utah, 2004 Utah Jazz, okay? 7-3 and three stretch, ended 14th in the West, got Darren Williams, Okay. Had we lost to the Clippers, we would have been the same. We would have had a stretch with the same record as the 2007 Chicago Bulls who would go on to pick Derrick Rose. Okay, we just had the same record that the Utah Jazz had in 2004 when they would eventually get Darren Williams. Okay, it's not inconceivable that we could be in a position to still draft a franchise player when all's said and done. Okay, not at all. In fact... You know, you, you, you could think about it from the standpoint also of with the Jazz having so many picks in the 2023 draft and beyond, uh, even if we sold off some vets, maybe we get some more picks as well. Those can be assets that the Jazz use, just as Dallas did back in 2018, to jump a couple spots and get our ideal franchise player. So it's not out of the cards as well. And furthermore, if we look at some of the teams we thought we predicted would be tanking it's interesting those teams aren't where we thought they would be okay if we look at san antonio five and five okay keldon johnson is is really showing to be a most approved player candidate and they are not they are not terrible oklahoma city thunder four and five shea gilgis alexander is playing at an all-star all nba level okay he's fantastic houston rockets okay yeah they're bad one nine they just do not defend okay um, and they're probably extra motivated to be bad this year since beginning next year, they start conveying some of their first round picks to Brooklyn, uh, Detroit. Okay. Detroit is two and eight. Okay. Yeah. They're worse than at least I thought they'd be. Their development is underway. They could easily have a seven and three stretch at some point this, this, uh, this season, Orlando, same thing. You know what? Uh, Bancaro has really proven to be that guy. You know what? They hit a, a slightly softer point in their schedule. They could easily go seven and three. Indiana four and five. Benedict Matherin, their first round pick from this past uh, draft, he is just awesome and is playing off the bench. Imagine putting him in the starting lineup right next to Tyrese, or uh, excuse me, right next to Halliburton. I mean, wow. So a lot of these teams we expected to be in the doldrums to be, you know, just blitzing for Victor Wembanyama in that last, that uh, those final three um, records in in the in the league are are fairly solid, most of them, in fact. And furthermore, if you look at who's actually at the bottom right now, most of these teams really don't have any incentive to remain there. Okay, if we look at Brooklyn. They're a really heavy tax team. As long as they have Kevin Durant on the roster, they aren't tanking. Similar thing with Miami. Heavy tax team. They went all in with the Kyle, uh, Kyle Lowry uh, you know, signing. 
they've got uh, Butler. They just extended Tyler Hero. As long as they got uh, as long as they got Jimmy Butler, they're not tanking. Philadelphia, they don't own their 2023 picks, so no incentive to tank. Minnesota, similar. They don't own their 2023 picks, so they don't have any incentive to tank. And we're actually hoping that they uh, that they you know don't perform well because the Jazz get that pick in 2023. Golden State again, heavy tax team. As long as Steph is there, you know why would they be taking? I mean, they just they just won the they just won the championship last year, and they've got plenty of young guys on the roster: Poole, Wiseman, Moody, Kaminga. Like they they have no reason to tank. Sacramento Kings they could kind of go either way, right? They they own their pick this year. There, there's reasons to tank, right? If you think, hey, Fox really isn't that guy, and you know what, we're really, really happy with Murray and Sabonis, um, and Mitchell. If if we just get, you know, one more franchise guy in here, or, or franchise potentially filled guy in here, may, you know, maybe things shake out uh, better for us. But they're always trying to win, so so who knows? Los Angeles Lakers have no incentive to to keep losing too, because the New Orleans Pelicans have rights to swap their 2023 first, so they couldn't even tank for Victor Wembanyama. They'd end up with the New Orleans pick. So really, when we look at it, I think the Jazz they are coming up on a pivot point where they kind of have to decide which way they're going to go throughout the season. Okay, they're winning a lot. And there's no signs of it slowing down at this point. And if you start trading Conley or Clarkson or Beasley, etc., that is going to have an impact on things, right? Conley won't be able to bail us out in some of those clutch moments. There won't be that steadying force. There won't be that that instant offense that JC can provide on any given moment. And that's going to make the Jazz worse. Okay, but if you ride this out, or even if you make moves to make the Jazz better, right? You add talent. You know that's that's an avenue the Jazz can go down. And I'm not suggesting which way they should go at this juncture. Um, I can see both sides. I'm just having fun right now because it is a it is a joy to watch this team play. And win or lose, I I can see you know I can see a positive outcome. Either way, the wind blows. But there is there is a point where the Jazz will have to decide what they want to do. My new working scenario, my new working theory is the following. Say, for example, that the Jazz land with the seventh best odds. Okay, that's kind of the um, the best case scenario from a from a winning standpoint that I had predicted earlier this season. I said, hey, I think the Jazz lands somewhere in three to seven. Okay, so say the Jazz land at seven. Okay, seventh worst record. AKA seventh best odds in in uh, in the draft. Okay, that would give them around eight percent odds for Victor Wembanyama. Okay, say the Timberwolves can't figure it out. They end up with the twelfth worst team. Okay, so they're in the play-in and they get bounced, and so boom, they're in the lottery. Okay, Jazz get their pick at the twelfth best odds. Um, the Jazz are going to to retain that pick. Uh, I think it's around four percent or so, or maybe that's with the tenth. One of those two. Um, then say that the, the the Nets never recover from Kyrie and that the Sixers never really achieve their potential. Okay, say that they end with I don't know the twelfth or the tenth best record, whichever um, uh, with the Timberwolves and them. Okay, all of a sudden that's approximately two percent uh, odds for the twelfth best record, four percent for the tenth. Okay, so eight percent from the Jazz pick 
Uh, 4% from the Timberwolves pick, 2% from the worst of that Houston Nets, or from that Rockets, Nets, and Sixers pick. All of a sudden, the Jazz have three lottery picks and a 14% chance at Wembenyama, and we had a killer start to the season, and, you know, midway through, you know, we pivoted. That's a totally legitimate, you know, possibility as I can see it right now. Or there's another scenario where the Jazz explore options to improve the team, address weaknesses, and all of a sudden they go from, you know, an overachieving team to a team that, hey, is playing up to expectations given the talent, and they just added some, and holy cow, they could, they could actually make the playoffs and, and have a competitive first-round series. So again, I don't know which way I'm. I'm not suggesting. I should say that I'm not suggesting a way that the Jazz go with this this roster right now. But it is a really interesting analysis, and I think the Jazz are going to have to decide at some point which way they want to lean. Uh, ultimately, it's super fun, and and I also believe that the preferred scenario out of all of this is that you have good players playing their best, as opposed to not having anything functional. Okay, that was kind of the hallmark of the uh, of the Sam Hinkie, uh, the process rebuild that uh, he employed during his Philadelphia 76ers tenure. Okay, we aren't even going to have NBA players on this team. Okay, we're going to trade away all NBA players. We're going to promote G League off the street type type people who will roster up for us, and we will ensure the worst record by a landslide. Okay. And we've seen that that hasn't really worked out for Philly, right? They, they got Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, and they missed a lot. Ultimately, I think the Jazz are showing that the preferred model is to have good players who are playing their best, and that gives you options. And you pair that with all of the assets the Jazz have, and they have the options. What are they going to do with the options? I don't know, but I am so very excited to watch it play out and in the meantime i'm just enjoying this season because it has been an absolute joy well thanks so much for joining us for the jabber jazz podcast thank you so much for listening and supporting us again if you like what we're doing here's how you can support us subscribe to the podcast Follow us on Twitter at Jabber underscore Jazz. Visit our YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to that channel. Um, leave a review or a comment and score some Jabber Jazz merch in the comments below. Again, thank you so much for listening. Hope you'll join us for our next episode. We are going to have some really killer special episodes uh, that will have the full audio and video up on our YouTube channel here in the next couple weeks. And now without further ado, we'll leave you with some sounds of jazz.